0: I see a door where there wasn't before, I see a door, I see, I see a door.
1: Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the UCLA Urban Humanities Initiative. In our pilot season, our contributors meditate on the theme of the portal. Through readings, sound walks, audio collages, interviews, and more, we seek out the openings, fissures, and apertures within the pandemic. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell,
0: And I am Jacqueline Barrios. In this week's episode, members of the Center for Planetary Intelligence Band reflect on technology in the age of COVID. For additional musing on washing machines, internal combustion, cooking, optics, dump trucks, and Ducca, visit digitalsalonpodcast.org to listen to part two of Production in the Age of Data Sprawl. The ideas expressed in this podcast represent members of the SEA, F P I B and do not represent their employers in any way.
2: One thing I I, I keep uh, the thing I keep saying over and over is that. Uh, Although I am constantly online and constantly doing things in the in the digital realm, at the same time, uh, I always say this, and I don't even know if I mean it, but I I often say that if I could go in a time machine and go back and prevent the internet from being invented, I would do it. <laughs> Bart, we need
3: you to find the time machine. Um, so we keep threatening this like band Zoom uh, meeting, you know, uh, uh, or mm-hmm. maybe not. Maybe it's not a threat, but you know, an unfulfilled uh, promise. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. What if the um, band,
4: but a bunch of unfulfilled promises? Totally. Oh my God. All
3: right. Beautiful. But I wonder. Um, I wonder, like, uh, this is just really briefly. how is your um, experience of technology during this
2: period? Oh, like during the kind of quarantine.
5: Um, I've had like uh, computer problems that have like been stopping me from recording. They can't. I don't know of any computer shop. You can take your computer in, or you have to go. You know, like, I think maybe my memory died or something, and I had to get more memory. And then I tried that, and then it wouldn't start, and then it wouldn't let me record. Like it would only let me record, and like little it kept shutting down. So I tried to do this track, and I had to keep restarting it, then from a different point, and then like overdubbing. And so I, I was basically having computer problems and that led to this complete frustration. It was like fuck ass it, and I stopped. Uh, and then I discovered that acapella app trying to make a birthday greeting for somebody and I was like, go! Oh. And then I saw other people posting things where like many different people were on it and I, and I, I was like, how do you do that? How do you get it? Send it to other people. And I was like, well, you have to own it so you can send it to them. And then I was like, well, I got to try doing that.
6: um i don't know if it's changed i mean i mean i guess like the the you know when you really kind of want to see someone and you want to do like a facetime thing or something i I never really did that before felt the reason too but then it it kind of became fun like you know call someone up and say like hey like you know let's get drunk and talk to each other basically you know what i mean That, that, that kind of was nice, you know? Like, I never really saw a reason to do that before. Um, and then, I guess it probably sounds a little, uh, what's the word, superficial, but, um, like, eBay was, eBay filled a void for me, you know what I mean? Like, I, like, I, I do, a, like, thrift shopping is one of my main hobbies, you know? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that's what I do, you know? And it's kind of like, you know... It, you know, I never, I try to never buy anything new ever, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and I mean, not even like, I. yeah, I, and I'm, you know, kind of a hoarder, you know, I'm kind of a hoarder line. Well, no, I mean, I just like, you know, I just, I like stuff, like I have a lot of stuff, you know, and I mean, it's, you know, I, I have it under control, but... Uh-huh. You know, it's kind of like the the, the finding this thing. You know, it's like, whoa, look what I found! Like something you don't ever even you know, need at all. But it's like, whoa, like this is the greatest thing, you know? And it's um, of course it's better when it's something that you've been looking for. Like I've wanted one of these for ever, but I can't. You know, you know, I don't want really to buy it new and just then you find it. It's like, wow. Like I, I don't know. I don't even know what an example would be. Like anything, you know what I mean? Like a great garlic press or something. You know what I mean? Like
0: Like a potato ricer?
6: Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Did I tell you about the potato ricer? Oh, who told you that story? Well, okay, here's what happened with the potato ricer. I was on my way. I I never made a gnocchi, you know. So I was like, for some reason, it was one thing that I had never made. Um, And I was like, I'm going to get a potato ricer. Or I was going to Rainbow to get the potatoes and stuff and then I was like I guess I'm gonna have to go to like, you know, William Sonoma and get a potato ricer. And I was walking to Rainbow and I see one a really cool old potato ricer, it's like painted fire engine red. And but it's old, you know, and I'm sitting on top of a garbage can. And I was like I don't know, it was a great one of the greatest moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> like I was on my way to buy the potatoes to be riced. And I found I found this thing I'm sitting on top of a garbage can and I was like I got it. I got it right. now. I'll I'll get to send you a picture of it. Yeah, I mean it was great. It was like one of those one of those moments that you can't, you know. You know like once in a lifetime.
3: Um, well that's a good transition into yeah. our topic, which is yeah. technology. Okay. I know we already had this conversation, but it's going to be even better the second time.
7: Well, we had moved from um, California to New Mexico now, I guess, about 18 months ago. And we don't have a lot of friends here. And actually, during quarantine, because everybody started using Zoom so much, we have probably more contact with our friends and... Ryan's family that lives in Australia than we had before the pandemic. So that's sort of been a nice side effect for us because people can't see each other in real life. They're at home on their computers anyway. They're reaching out more to us, I think. And, you know, we've, um, my friend April made a, like a trivia, we played Jeopardy, um, so she figured out how to do that because she works as a children's librarian and made Jeopardy for these teens that she's working with and then she decided to make one for um a bunch of our her friends and we played that. I don't think that would have happened before the pandemic. So and we had buzzers and um yeah, she made topics. Um I learned a lot actually. There was there was one about You know, they're different different categories and um, we have a movie club. We meet once a week with some people and talk about a movie that we rotate who gets to pick. And so that's been cool. I think I was pretty um, against FaceTime and didn't really enjoy video um, chats before the pandemic, but I've gotten used to them. And it's nice to at least see people that way if you can't see them in real life. Give them hugs. I noticed you didn't say that
3: you are enjoying them. You just said you got used to them.
7: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the same. And I think uh, I was thinking about uh, your Earth Day project, and um, actually one of the, the highlights of quarantine for me was recording vocals on two earth girl songs and just hearing everybody else's parts and imagining playing with the band and it felt so good to sing and i think i for me music is really the part i enjoy the most is the collaborative um, part of it i enjoy playing with other musicians and also performing and the energy you get from the audience and I haven't, it's, it's hard for me to uh, find a way of doing it all on my own that feels that good. So that was, that was a really nice thing. It's not the same, but it's closer. I think trying to find ways to collaborate in the midst of all of this is challenging, but um, it definitely feels good. Yeah, it does feel
0: good.
1: I mean, it's almost more ironic to call me about technology than it is to call me about aerobics. It's like a Venn diagram, and I in the part that doesn't overlap.
3: Once you got the leotard on, you really came alive, so... You know,
1: so I... <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? So you have a list of questions.
3: I'm in, like, so far over my head that... Um, you? Yeah, it's, it's worse than ever. I'm on my way to a nervous breakdown, but... um.
1: Okay, well, let's make this quick, then.
3: Okay, if, first of all, how has your experience of technology changed? It's... Um, I would say it actually hasn't,
1: primarily because my business is is not particularly tech based. I have a bunch of old Dell computers from the late '90s, Um, and uh, you know I'm like engaged in like selling like soil and lumber and and rock primarily. So it just yeah, I haven't had to be on any. I haven't been on a single Zoom, whatever, whatever those fucking things are called, Zoom videos, Zoom calls. Amazing. Uh, Yeah, I haven't. I mean, um, I've had to help, not really help, but I've had to be supportive of Lisa while she tried to adapt to remote stuff, which was pretty difficult because she's even less technologically inclined than I am. She's better at, she's decent with computer programs when she learns them, but it's, it's, it's thrusting, you know, all this all the all the education into uh into remote tech interfaces has probably been the biggest thing that I've seen happen, but I haven't had to deal with it myself.
3: Lisa's teaching undergraduate biology classes online. Yeah,
1: for UC Berkeley. And uh she's also teaching anatomy online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a class that was, you know, they went from, they went from dissecting a cadaver to virtual classes. I mean, I couldn't imagine a bigger, I couldn't imagine a bigger shift, honestly. Um, um, yeah. I mean, I don't fucking, know. I mean, the, 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 the biggest single technological investment I've made since the pandemic was a 1958 Volkswagen bug Turn into buggy? I was tempted, believe me. But um, <laughs> it's, yeah. anyway, this is not good for a podcast about technology. Um, I haven't, because yeah, like I said, because of what I actually do for a living, I just hasn't really changed. Yeah, like my, my interface with technology. That is, yeah, I definitely really don't like spend more time online. Oh, you know what? I would say one thing. I've had to c- compromise certain ways that I like bought things um I've had to find ways to buy things online because I move around less and go to stores less so like car parts I would have in the past gone and and gone to an auto parts store I like I have to buy shit online now because those I just don't you know by order of the state I'm moving around less you know um
3: are the businesses that you're purchasing from do you think at the same scale is it sort of a a horizontal shift online unfortunately i've had to buy a
1: few things from amazon because they still are more timely i don't consider it that much morally superior to buy something from autozone.com than i do from amazon.com It, it's going to take them a week to get me something, whereas, like, Amazon, it'll be two days, and those, that's five days that a car isn't sitting on the side of the road. Can you tell all I've been doing is fixing fucking cars? We bought a 1969 international dump truck. Holy shit. It's fucking awesome. The farthest we ever go is Duncan Beach. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it, it's, a, it's a gas guzzler that moves, like, 15 miles a week. And because its capacity is so high, um, we're probably actually saving gas because we're doing less trips. Yeah, it's quadruple the capacity of our other dump truck. Um, it depends on which dump truck I'm using. Um, yeah, you want to have to dump a little bit at a time with a shovel. Um, <laughs> so it depends on what it is. Some, like, really small aggregate tends to dump really fast. So, but what you can do is you can tilt the bed just a little bit. And because the gate on our new truck flaps from the top, uh-huh. The weight that's against it will kind of regulate. 500 pounds of gravel is about, a yard. you probably know this, the yard of gravel is about 1.6 tons, you know, like 3,200 pounds. I'm sticking with shovel for 500 pounds.
0: Set your mind free, follow
1: Your podcast gets derailed here. So <laughs> off the track already? Here, I'm going to do my impression of Jamin on your podcast. Well, okay. He's like, he's like, Heidi, how has technology, how has your uh, interaction with technology changed since the onset of the pandemic? So let's goes, well, uh, I mean, I don't know, like, um, are you recording this? Yeah. <laughs> Cause, like, I mean, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> But, see, but fuck, you missed him. Huh? Is that about how it
3: went? <laughs> his, he was saying that the biggest, his biggest tech shift was having to do his um, thrift shopping on eBay That it's like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then we
3: talked about the, we talked about the potato ricer.
2: <laughs> the fuck, the
3: one that he walked out his door and found it sitting on top of a garbage can. Yeah, he found. He was like going to get one. He found it on the garbage Oh, camp. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I just, it's a potato ricer too. It's like one of those things. You like most people don't even know what they are.
8: change just in the way that I, in the way that I've been involved and and can collaborate with different um, projects and like with the protests and all the like virtual town halls and city council meetings and stuff like that, it's really really kind of helped me feel like I'm able to be more involved Like I said, I'm not always the most outgoing person, or don't always, like, I'm definitely a homebody. And so I feel like it's opened up opportunities for me to do, yeah, I guess get more involved um, with, like, a virtual community, Mm I guess. Which I never really did. I mean, I never really did video conferencing. I hardly ever did FaceTime. Um, it's been cool to see just like these giant Zoom meetings that happen, bringing together so many different people who can't physically be together. And I feel like even beyond this pandemic, I think right, hopefully people will still be able to collaborate near and far using more of a digital platform. Like aside from social media, and I guess for me who tends to want to stay home and and not like be out in big groups of people, I think it helps make me feel like I can still be involved from home. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I definitely think it depends on your personality and like if you're an introvert or extrovert or thrives being around lots of people. I'm definitely on the introverted side. So
9: during quarantine, my relationship to technology has. Like increased and improved, and I, I, you know, I don't feel as resistant to it as I did before, and I've actually taken on roles in certain ways that I always I either avoided or um, like outsourced. Mm-hmm. Like in this time, like I like upgraded my recording program and I downloaded a bunch of plugins and like have used the. So, like knowledge that I've absorbed from like watching other people mix my music for the past decade or whatever so like I like that I just like r- decided on a few things that I saw as being essential that other people always use like preamps, EQ compressors so now I'm doing all my own mixing and so this has actually allowed me a lot more productivity because I usually like wait around to like have enough money and time to like set up some time with someone else to like mix my stuff but now I just do it myself and I think I'm getting okay with uh, at doing it too.
3: Are there things that you miss about doing it with somebody else as opposed to doing it by yourself?
9: I do miss it, like I was working with my friend Yohei a lot and he has this awesome little hut studio in his backyard and we would just sit in there and work on music together like. For hours and hours and hours and have great conversations. And so I do miss that a lot. I'm like currently just like a little nervous as to how like the like capitalist machinations are like tricking people into thinking that the pandemic is over.
3: This is America, baby. Yeah. Buy, sell, trade.
9: I just don't want to be like stuck in this like low level. Like terror,
1: <laughs> forever.
9: <laughs> forever, you know. I yeah. feel like if we can just all like be really diligent, like right at the beginning, and then like wait for a real solution, then we could actually get out there faster in a more total way. But right here, it's just, we're just gonna be on a slow burn of, of quarantine. You mean cooperation?
3: You mean cooperate? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably applicable to quite a
9: number
3: of crises ailing humanity,
9: you yeah. know. This is, like, not even to mention, like, the like the social and political unrest, you know, that's, like, going on, which is so great that it's happening. Um, but this time is, like, insane.
10: Yeah, I mean, well, it's just kind of like, I don't know, I, I mean, I feel like people are more... Have been more willing to do these kind of like, you know, distant collaborations of like file sharing kind of stuff, where it's like, you know, you just send some tracks to somebody, like a friend or somebody you know, other musicians and stuff, and they'll like, you know, add stuff to, to do a bunch of overdubs and then send those to you. for your project, or they'll ask you to do the same for them, for their project, you know, because they're not, like, you know, not really tied to anything at this point, and futures are uncertain, so people are just kind of, like, trying to do stuff.
3: You're a pretty tech-savvy guy. Well, yeah, at
10: least in the audio realm. Not, not, not super, like, computer-savvy. I mean, I know how to use them for audio and stuff, but, like, never spent a lot of time, like...
2: Inside of computers. I'm not much of a home recording guy. I never have been. I've made demos in GarageBand over the years because uh, it's a really convenient tool. But I never had much confidence in my ability to um, do recordings i just always felt like that wasn't a passion of mine. I was more passionate about uh, writing, arranging, composing, uh, playing. So uh, now that uh, we haven't been able to gather in groups and do recording sessions and all this, there's been a real need to kind of step it up and start tracking my own stuff at home and trying to get a better sound and trying to care a little more about how that how that comes out. I, I I am enjoying it. I am enjoying it. Um I feel as if I'm working on something that is either just gonna be my most elaborate demos I've ever made or it may even just become an album to, I still don't think I'm in. A, I don't think I would. Uh, I would send the tracks to someone else and have them mix them. I think, <laughs> but uh, uh, so you know, I, I, I suppose that's been good just to delve into the whole thing of working alone at home, tracking instruments, and putting songs together, um, doing that more than I've ever done before, and and taking it more seriously than before, and I suppose that is good for me personally as a musician to spend some time on that since I never really have before Um, but uh, I, I don't like the idea that we're just as a society showing or proving in some way during this time that we can live our lives online I don't think that I, I don't think that uh, school should ever be online. It should be in classrooms. And I, I think that musicians, uh, as, as much as we can benefit from the, uh, the tools that have been given us to work alone at times, I think there's nothing that could ever replace uh, live music or group effort. Uh, so... As much as I've kind of enjoyed this moment, I think it's very worrisome that there are folks out there who feel as if this time is proving that there is less need for uh, for real-life activity and that we can do so much of our life online. I don't think we can. I think the internet is just loaded with problems. Uh, So, and on on a societal level. So, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I don't I I don't know what this looks like when it's all over. I mean, what about the venues? Are the venues like all the independent venues going to be gone, and we're just going to be dealing with like Live Nation and Clear Channel or what? Like what? What does this all look like when we're finished? With when this whole thing is actually over? Which, by the way, no one really knows when that is. I, I don't know. I, I definitely think there's some worrisome aspects about us um, so willingly and so happily changing our li- changing our lives to just being people that live on Zoom. I, I don't know. I, I don't like. Some of the stuff I've been reading, I don't know. I'm not following any of it really closely, but I don't know, like Cuomo talking about, uh, you know, developers. You know, we we are all ears. We want to hear all about how uh, we can just we can just stop having classrooms. <laughs> I know that's an exaggeration, but you know, Carly says it's kind of not an exaggeration.
5: You get these updates, you're like, your screen time is up 30% from last week. You're like,
2: shit, I'm
5: scrolling too much.
3: Who sends you that notification? I'll get that one.
5: I don't know, it just pops up. You can say,
3: Siri, what
7: is my screen
0: time?
5: You took 18,000 steps today and climbed 40 flights of stairs in a total of 6.8 miles. Perfect. Yay! <laughs> And then I thought, like, I could just sit in my room and swing my phone back and forth, and it would think that it was walking, you know, like, <laughs> But I wonder, like, because it's just like a gyroscope inside there or something. You know? No, but actually, it has distance because it's like GPS locating that you're actually going somewhere.
3: And an altimeter. You need a gyroscope, yeah. an altimeter, and uh, something else.
5: I should try I just sit in my chair and watch TV and swing my phone back and forth and see how these stuff. <laughs> <friends. laughs>
2: so, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what this all looks like when it's over, and I think that when all is said and done, we're going to look back at the whole COVID-19 chapter in history as a sad one. And although I might be personally... Feeling grateful for some things I've had the time to do at this moment. Uh, I, I, on the, in the law, lo- I feel like I want to look at the larger picture. I mean, I think that
4: I don't know. I feel like before this, any of us would have said that this is the most we can imagine like collective West culture staring at our phones and at screens at like, like that type of modern technology. And then, and then this thing happened and, and by God, we're able to do it even more than we ever imagined. Like just stare at computers and use, be even more dependent on them for, for entertainment and for like real work and everything. And also like maybe being able to appreciate the, 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 the brighter sides of, the positive sides of social media where before I might have been very quick to um, rail about the self like the outwardly self centered stuff that everybody, myself included, just like puts out there for the world to see. But then seeing um, how maybe really being able to appreciate how unifying it can be as well to like make everyone feel a, a slightly less more connected and slightly less lonely. Although, albeit from, like, a a greater distance. But I guess maybe I feel... I sense that I can appreciate that positive side of it more than I would have maybe six months ago. A lot of everything that I just said is also connected to, like, the Black Lives Matter moment. So maybe that's not coronavirus-specific. Yeah, they're happening simultaneously, so it's kind of hard to separate them. But I guess even if it is just in, like video chatting with someone that you wouldn't have otherwise. I haven't done it a lot, but every time that I've done it, it's been a really wonderful connection with a really good friend. And and that's something that I wouldn't have done otherwise. And it's even been, like, a, a couple times people in Los Angeles that just live on the other side of town and, like, that I just don't get to see very often anyhow. And we just have, like, a nice long talk that we probably wouldn't have had on the phone. I don't know. There's, like, bigger picture stuff that's extra confusing. I mean, you could definitely go down, like, police, like, modern digital social technology burgeoning police state rabbit holes about how much worse all of all of those sorts of things are getting because of the moment that we're in, but...
0: Tune next week for six hours of techno-fascist
3: philosophy. You too, you too could be a cog in a wheel or a bit in a chip that flips and slips. Yeah, I mean, I don't... I, I'm not quite sure how to talk about the Black Lives Matter movement over the last week's and George Floyd, in the context of this um, like episode, but i I know that we will.
4: It is interesting, like trying to isolate that moment before this most recent cultural explosion. and it's and it's hard to like for me, like, separate the two in memory like we're already living in a really crazy time and then this other cultural explosion happens and it's it's just interesting like right now trying to isolate them they're like connected but they really aren't connected like the george it's not like like george floyd is part of another continuum and they're just like two astronomical bodies that just happen to smash into each other like a pandemic and then yet another racist police murder of a black person like you know that it's it's just pretty crazy that they but but they are connected in the sense that i guess if coronavirus hadn't been happening then the protests wouldn't be as big it's pretty incredible I, i guess maybe the point was that it, it's interesting that we probably both want to connect them in this conversation, but it is interesting that in in the spirit of like what you're what you're investigating with this interview, like we kind of don't have to talk about it because it hadn't happened yet in that moment. But from here, it feels like all one insane event. I love
2: it. I just think of the way life used to be. <laughs> when there was all this free time. Why is there no more free time? Great. What happened? It's like, you know, before the pandemic, I just literally was so frustrated with mm-hmm. life because there was no free time. Uh, you you got to work as much as you can, as often as you can, and you have to think every single day, how am I making money? Every single day. And then... The free time that you have, then you allot it for creative projects and social activities that you want to be doing because you believe in them, because they make you feel good. And then between those two things, you just have no boredom. You have no time left over to stop and kind of just think about your life or anything. And it's like uh, the pandemic, I guess, for some people has given them a chance to do that people who've been laid off or have a lot of supposed free time now and I feel like because they spend so much of their life online and, and I mean I'm, I'm also speaking from personal experience here that you just still feel as if there's no free time
9: I don't know about you but like I, I miss certain things but also there was plenty of, of aspects of like being a creative musician that like made me miserable Hmm. that i that i don't necessarily want to go back to like what like uh fear of missing out like not getting opportunities jealousy anxiety live performance anxiety wanting to be seen heard (laughs) recognized
3: or like a digital existence and sort of like work, work, like associating worth with activity
9: yeah like the shedding of ambition was like a huge relief for a while now I just have anxiety of like what's next how am I going to do this like what does it mean for me I I also am like, why? I don't matter right now, and I won't for a while.
3: I think everybody at every moment matters in the generation of the future.
2: All of that said, I totally have no idea what my life would have been like the last 20 or so years had it not been for the internet. So, like for example, as a musician, I might have stopped playing in any remotely professional sort of way because uh, I might have just burned out on the sort of system as it was before, email and websites and social media and all those things, and streaming and digital recording and all those things, it's like, I, I, maybe the digital world like gave me an extra 20 years of my career. How, like, how am I to know?
3: Yeah, but that's the thing, is how are you to know? Because like it's, I feel like it's like when you're in an, in an abusive relationship but things are good, they're like, well, but I wouldn't have all, you know, but you're like, but you would have something else, (laughs) and who knows what that is, it could be literally anything other than, like, what you have now. Um, Right. We think we should be grateful for it, and I guess we should, but, you know.
2: I sort of miss the way I used to experience boredom. The last time I felt like that was probably something like 1999. Oh, man. <laughs> that sucks.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that I think about sometimes and I'm trying to be like optimistic about our present moment is just that um, because of the global nature of the pandemic and because of where we're at technologically right now, although I am with you on having a, a very large number of reservations about buying in wholesale to uh, embracing this way of being, you know, but it certainly enables a a scale of communication that maybe wasn't achievable, you know, 10 years ago or 50 years Mm -hmm. ago, certainly. Mm -hmm. Um, We're learning how to be responsive and coordinated at a much bigger scale. Right. That, and that, you know, one of the things that is really amazing about human beings is that we're capable of, like, building a cognitive framework to support um, behavioral changes. You know, we we create um, fictions, and, you know, they take all sorts of different forms. But, you know, to, and this is, like, definitely, like, drawing on the work of... um Noe Harari, you know that that the ability to create shared narrative is really a a big part of what sets human cognition apart and so we're capable of these like really non-evolutionary scale shifts in behavior that are not driven by biology but driven by um, our shared understanding of the world. You know COVID was like one thing to like grease our wheels and get people to to like make changes really quickly and then the events surrounding the killing of George Floyd and what's been happening in the last weeks is like a next level and that's not just like those technologies being there or the circumstance but also like in like like decades of practiced leadership you know and like methodologies for like you know for calling people to action that's been you know proven ag- again in like those last week's that people can respond to a call for action. So, if we can work with these methods, you know, we might actually be able to change the course of history in a in a significant way.
2: So, so many things I dislike about what is happening in the world, as far as the way people communicate and the way that people. I I just think that social media is. Put, pretty toxic, really, in a lot of ways. I think it's a... I think it may be having more of an adverse effect on people than a positive one. Of of course, there's bits of both, or or effects that are neither negative nor positive, but I I do... I don't know, and I I just think of the way life used to be. It is a different time, right, because in the 60s, when you had... uh, Southern police uh, spring protesters with these powerful uh, water hoses. You had uh, folks from other parts of the country seeing that on television and having so much empathy for uh, the protesters and for, for uh, MLK and the civil rights movement. They, they sort of exposed what was going on With, uh, uh, Jim Crow laws and 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 segregation and all those things that were going on in the South that sort of exposed the rest of the country to that via television and television news. At least on a sort of surface level, a lot of uh, people throughout other parts of the country uh, decided to have really strong opinions about that, and like, well, or to say, well, we think. Uh, Black folks should be able to vote, or we think uh, segregation is wrong, or these things. You know, they had it changed public perception of race relations because of the television being there to show what was happening. Because it wasn't just a story you heard about; you saw the images of people being hosed down, uh, of people being uh, beaten with batons or whatever those things. So, you know, that was happening. Same thing with protests against the war in Vietnam. Um, but.
0: Uh, but uh,
2: the thing about that's kind of kind of driving while black thing the, the, the thing that Black Lives Matter is kind of more about is that individual people being brutalized or, 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 or unarmed people being killed by police. right This is something the Panthers uh, started up to uh, push back against. But because now we have everyone carries around a phone that's actually a video camera, you can now actually capture these things happening, and as disturbing as it is to look at, um, that just wasn't possible in the 1960s. It's George Floyd's, uh, the Breonna Taylors, the Trayvon Martin, all these things, all these things, they were all happening in, in other eras. This was always happening. It's just that now the technology is there to capture it and show it to people, and so that is a really incredible thing about the technology, right? It is helping to inspire people to say, we'll have no more of this. It's not just rhetoric anymore. It's not just, well, you know, this happens all the time and people don't see it. They have to fucking see it happen. It's not enough for them to believe that it happened, right? Like when the Panthers were, uh, you know, at, at the Capitol building in 1966, uh Addressing the, the very same issues, they were looked at as like kind of crazy, or the Watts riots that were the result of the very same issues, right? And people say, "Well, that's just crazy these people have burnt down all those buildings and whatever." It's just not. It, it's it's uh, and plenty of people were more thoughtful about it and said, "Well, this is obviously something's wrong here." right? So, but it's just like now we have this way of people actually being able to sh- often, like, show the stories and share the stories. And also because things, pe- pe- people are sharing stories, right? Like, in the 60s maybe it might have been hard for one person's story to really get out there into the mainstream, but when you have people sharing this stuff and it can, like, sort of go viral or whatever, that's that's totally different. Like, I feel like Most Americans do not know who Fred Hampton is, right? Um, and this is a Black Panther who, uh, Chicago police in the middle of night with no real reason except maybe something to do with him having some unlicensed firearms, uh, uh, in his apartment, uh, they pretty much just, like, went to his apartment and just started just firing machine gun rounds into his apartment, killing him, killing some other people that were there, too. They were, like, pregnant... Pregnant girlfriend. It's just totally gruesome. The Chicago police uh, fired round after round after round into his apartment and killed him. And... It was just a massacre and no one was ever uh, brought to trial for doing that. The city of Chicago treated that like that was the cops doing their job because they talked about the Black Panthers like they were a terrorist organization or something. Or what happened to the Soledad brothers who... And without them, you know, you wouldn't have had the unlawful uh, persecution of Angela Davis, right? Like, the uh, a lot of mainstream, everyday Americans wouldn't even really know about some of these stories. They would be put on, like, the back page of the newspaper. But because now we have this seemingly, and I say seemingly because I really don't know how any of it works, but we seemingly have this... egalitarian sort of ability to share stories, it does seem as if maybe that's been helpful for African Americans to finally get popular opinion on their side about the the way, but truly closer to being on their side than maybe back in the 60s and 70s. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, Because of the way that news stories can become well-known because people are sharing them. So after, I, you know, saying all this stuff about how I think it's making us stupid and it's, it's bringing out the worst in us, there is this. And, 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 and I just don't know enough about media. I, I feel like it's also another generation of, of journalists I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's, just, it's just weird. When I hear Zuckerberg talking, I feel like he's trying to say he wants us to replace real-life experience with his curated online experience. He wants us to stop living real life and live our lives on Facebook. But then you have, like, him in his... That really like candy coated biopic about him. They have these claims that like the Arab Spring and Tahrir Square, and all this happened because of fucking Facebook. Facebook and Twitter like have and Instagram have given political organizers another channel to get word word out about things. Can you mobilize people faster? Now, we're all going to this one place to protest in two hours, be there. But like, you could never do that in the 60s. I've
3: been thinking about this a lot too, because, like, yeah, it's definitely true. And then it's also true that, like, do people know how to get a hold of each other otherwise? <laughs> and anyway. we have all yeah. of our eggs in one basket, you know?
2: That is really scary. In the 60s, a small group of people would go and start the protest and they would just stay there until more people gathered. The Berkeley free speech protest in, uh, 64, it definitely happened that way. People were hearing like, just, Oh, you know, you know what's going on over campus right now? Oh, really? Let's go check it out. It was, you just, I don't know. I, I just don't, I did have such mixed feelings about the digital world. I just, I'm really, I really like playing records. I want to read more books. I'm totally addicted to watching television on my laptop. I'm feeling like a little bit more anti-digital than I was before, somehow.
3: (laughs) Well, me too. Sometimes when I'll do like aerobics, I'll like either use my phone as a mirror, or I'll actually be recording myself while I'm watching my instructor on Zoom and dancing. But you know, the previous experience was like only in the present moment, and it was in a room with people and um, and a mirror. You know, so I've been thinking a lot about like the difference between. A reflection as processed through the phone, and a reflection as like something coming off a mirror. And when I when I look in the mirror instead of looking into the phone, it's a totally, totally different experience for me. And both of them are like, you know, both of them are fundamentally sort of the same thing. But I think the fact that the one is just completely analog, and it's like it's like a, it's an electromagnetic phenomenon. You know, it's like a it's like a light is bouncing around and i'm perceiving it and whatever i think that something about the, the, the fact that the intake is being like processed and regurgitated by the phone like too ironic digital distortion like there's a lot of different effects of, of that for me all mm-hmm. of them are sort of pleasure sucking i cannot vibe with it at all like i do not i do not have a fun you know that record that LP is like you know that's a, it's it. all it needs is itself it's like all the trans. It's, it's still a translation it's still an abstraction but it's done so physically and through like the needle and the ridges and the speakers and whatever mm-hmm. it's quite a big difference <laughs> and the economy of it yes. is different you know is that record whatever maybe you bought it secondhand maybe you bought it new I don't know but it's it once once the purchase is made your the economic life of that object is over and it's just a thing that you can take pleasure in and, and possess or whatever and experience. All these subscription based services you're just uh constantly like on their kit, you know, like in order to have access to
2: some commodity. I wonder whatever happened to you. Cyberpunk. Remember Cyberpunk?
3: Maybe it's time to watch hackers try to figure it out.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is something that maybe that to do with just kind of messing with our cyber experiences and, and showing the absurdity of it.
3: You know, a fun mixture of uh truth and fiction and um fantasy build your own imaginary world
2: well, and uh maybe worlds that if they are a reflection of the so called real world uh it's a it's a fun place to uh toy with that where there aren't necessarily loads and loads of real world consequences to acting out the stories and the songs or the or, or playing with the ideas and theories that are there. It's, it's a it's a space to uh, toy with ideas. Uh, in, uh, you see what I mean? All
3: right. I'll just read you the op- the opening to this. It's called "Looking for Unity in the Midst of Madness: Transformative Access as One as uh, to formative access as the one in African-American rhetoric and technology studies. In cyberspace, it is finally possible to completely and utterly disappear people of color. I've long suspected that the much-vaulted freedom to shed the uh, limiting markers of race and gender on the Internet is illusory, and that, in fact, it makes a more disturbing phenomenon, the whitenizing of cyberspace. The invisibility of people of color on the net has allowed white-controlled and white-red publications like Wired to simply elide questions of race. The irony is that this invisibility—the the irony of this invisibility—is that African-American critical theory provides a very sophisticated tool for the analysis of cyberculture, since the African-American critics have been discussing the problem of multiple identities, fragmented persona, and liminality for over a hundred years. Uh, but Wired readers and writers aren't familiar with this rich body of critical theory. The struggle of African Americans is precisely the struggle to integrate identity and multiplicity, and the cultures of African Americans can surely be understood as perfect models for the postmodern condition, except that they predate postmodernism by hundreds of years, and thus contradicts the notion that the absence of the illusion
2: of a unitary self is anything new. I I was at a uh, I was at a recording session in the uh mid to late nineties for Oscar brown jr uh it was a great vocalese singer from the fifties jazz singer um and uh and kind of a cult figure amongst people who were into like Lambert Hendrickson ross and uh King Pleasure and other kind of vocalese uh r and b tinged uh vocal jazz. And I uh, got the chance to go uh, hang out at a session he was doing because I knew the people at the studio. And he <laughs> he was doing some sort of ad, like jingle thing, and he was going, cyberspace is the place, cyberspace is the place. <laughs> he was like, won't you get on the internet? And I was like, I kind of didn't really totally understand what the internet was <laughs> this is like 1996 or something, 96, 97, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I, I found out uh, three, four years later when I ended up working at Microsoft. But that is a whole other chapter. But uh, that that's an interesting thing that 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 one of these great jazz legends, uh, towards the end of his career was singing you know, jingles for extra cash, and it was all about cyberspace. Yeah, and kind of ripping on Sun Rock. So I think that uh, someone, whoever the ad execs who hired him to do that, definitely wanted to get a black field uh, for their advertisement, you know, or to get people to go online or whatever that was, um, whatever that campaign was about. But uh, I feel like this guy... This philosopher you're referencing, you know, he—I don't know when he said that on the timeline. As far as like how long now we've been online and how long this kind of technology has been such a big part of everyday life for people, I don't, I don't think that blackness is completely uh, left off the web 100%. Um, at this point in time, especially with the current situation which is I think that there's a worldwide outcry against police brutality because people who are not black are uh, seeing the struggle as something they want to be an ally to now. Um, And that's all, a lot of it is happening online, right? So, um, so I don't know. I don't know much about Silicon Valley culture and about uh, the architects of all this. And did they leave blackness out of it? Perhaps they did. I don't know.
3: What I thought was just really interesting was that he's basically saying it was not even, like, about, like, exclusion of black people from cyberspace, because that, like, definitely happened in the same way that, like... Black Americans have been ex- you know, all, all sorts of economies, and just like another is online. But I, what I thought was interesting was, him, was was him talking about like that the sort of fragmentation that people experience from having to eg- exist in multiple cybernetic spaces and mul- at the same time as multiple physical spaces and stuff like that. That that, that, mm. that fragmentation um, could be addressed by like a historical canon of black rhetoric and theory that deals with um, having to like present multiple personalities or deal with multiple realities like coherently in any one moment and ways that African Americans have done that through, through art and through rhetoric and through all these different like tools of culture that they've used to have a unified personal experience despite having to like
2: have all these different worlds at once um but zap you mean like more bounce to the ounce zap yeah yeah the vocoder love that shit Egyptian lover Africa Bambata. there's this Afrofuturism to that stuff I think I'm speaking way outside of my uh, wheelhouse here. Not that I'm a hip-hop expert.
3: I consider nothing to be outside of your wheelhouse, part. <laughs>
0: Tune in
1: next week for the next episode of the digital podcast, The Portal.
0: For more information, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.org.